0: Well, let's pray as we begin our time. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to be here and to be able to sit together and to study your word. Lord, we know that without your spirit upon us and in us, we would understand nothing, nothing of what you said. We would be like the blind who cannot even comprehend the light, and yet by your spirit we have the ability to understand, to be illumined to the truth. So help us this morning to understand what your word tells us, that we might be enriched to be more Christ-like and that you would be honored and glorified in and then through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to ask you to take your Bibles this morning. And uh, having just said that, isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to do that? be able to take your Bibles and actually open them up. Don't take that for granted. I received a a text message this week from Jason Bibo. Of course, we all know the Bebo's in China, and our website, our church website, is no longer available in China. It's blocked now by the Chinese. Don't take it for granted that You have a Bible sitting on your lap and that when I say take your Bibles, that you can open it. And one of the joys actually of my heart as a shepherd here is that each and every Sunday as I have the frightening privilege to stand up here and teach us the Bible to say those words, please open your Bibles with me. In our church, one of the delights of my heart and one of the delights of the leadership's heart is that we hear the whisper of pages opening when that's said. What a joy that is. The joy of my heart and the blessing for this church because we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe that. It's not just words that we say. It's not just some kind of intellectual experientialism that we think about. We believe the Bible is the Word of God It is the Word of God given to us by the inspiration of God the Spirit, and in it is everything we need for life and for godliness. And so what a privilege we have. And if you're not there already in your Bibles, please turn in them to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now we heard last Lord's Day, one of the greatest headlines that we could ever hear in our lifetime, one of the greatest headlines that you and I could ever have spoken to us. The news stories of our day come and go. Some shock us. Some cause us to smile with great happiness. But none can be compared to the one that we heard last Lord's Day. We heard this Headline, we heard this declaration. There is now, right now, this very moment, there is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing in all of life here on this earth or in the life to come, nothing could be better to have attributed to your life than that very declaration. To have that in the gain column of your life as your life history, nothing could be better than that. There is no better motivator. There is no better comfort. There is no better news. There is no better reality than to know with full assurance without any shadow of a doubt, that you are not condemned before God. Nothing could be better. To be condemned before God is the utmost of a horrific thought. Even if it was to be only for this life to be condemned is a horrific thought. But the condemnation that Paul is referring to, as we know from our study, is eternal condemnation, eternal destruction, eternal pain forever and ever. Not annihilation, not going out of existence, not some sense in which you pass from this life into some other non-existent life or get reincarnated into some other kind of animal or some kind of bizarre thing like that. No, this is an actual Pain forever and ever and ever and ever and ever without ever stopping. There is no more frightening words for a person to hear from the God over all creation, the only true and living God, than, depart from me, I never knew you. There is no greater a condemnation upon a person than that condemnation. Condemnation of God upon a person is eternal and it is a condemnation that all men want to avoid. And the joy of all joys for the Christian is the reality that for some, for the people of the world, for some people of the world, the declaration is made that there is now no condemnation. But here is the condition upon which that is made. Here is the condition upon which that is made. And as we heard last Lord's Day, it is a declaration made only to and about those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This makes it an exclusive reality, not an inclusive reality. It is not a universal reality by any means. The word in means unity. Unity with Christ or being united to and being with Jesus Christ. Being fully identified with Christ. That's the idea behind the word in. In Jesus Christ. Now that tells us that for anyone to be able to truthfully claim The eternal position of no condemnation and be fully assured of that position for anyone to have that assurance for now and for all eternity is that they must be unified with Jesus Christ. This is why it makes it impossible for any other religion other than true Christianity to have a way to salvation. Impossible. Because every other religion, other than true Christianity, identifies and, and believes in the true Christ of Scripture. Every other religion is a religion of works. To attach works to the human effort and life in order to attain no condemnation. And so for all of humanity, there is no declaration of innocence before God without being in Christ Jesus. And what God means through those words is that without a unity with Christ, there is no salvation. There is no eternal salvation in Christ. There is only the consequence and penalty for sin. There is none now. And there will be none into eternity without unity with Jesus Christ. We could read this verse this way. There is therefore now no salvation for those who are not in Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no salvation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. But... For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now not only no condemnation, there is complete and full salvation, and that status carries out throughout all eternity. So the entirety of Romans chapter 8 is a glorious reality for those who know Jesus Christ by faith. This reality is proven to us, the Apostle Paul does, with the purpose... That the Christian, you and I who have faith in Jesus Christ, that we would be fully assured of the reality of the declaration that God has made on our behalf because of Christ. That we would be fully assured. God does not want His children to go around through life here on this earth as those who are wondering if it could be true. God the Father wants us to be fully assured in this. Now, it isn't such a wonderful, or or isn't it such a wonderful patience of God to do that? To give us proofs of the promise that He makes. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, think about it. Do you ever think about your Christianity this way? Think about it for a moment. God is perfect. That means that there is no blemish in God at all. There is no sin in God at all. God is immutable. He cannot change. God is perfect in every way. He cannot lie. His Word is always true in every way. He never says anything that will not come to pass. There is no words from God that are misspoken. He goes, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Everything God says is absolutely true, always will come to pass in every kind of way, and on that basis alone, we ought to never, as Christians, doubt His promises, right? Just on that alone, just upon the very character of God alone, we should say, I believe, and and I know it will happen because God said it. But God, in order to even help that weakness in us, in His patience he allows us to see reasons why we christians are not condemned god says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. that ought to be enough let's go to chapter nine but god in his patience god in his grace god in his loving kindness to us gives us reasons he condescends to our weaknesses and gives us reasons why we as Christians are not condemned. He gives us proof. As if His Word wasn't proof enough. God gives us proof. That's what we're analyzing now. We began last week to look at the first proof of this. The first proof that God gives us why we can completely be settled in this. His word ought to be enough, but but God in His grace gives us proof why we can completely be settled in the reality that there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And the first proof, we mentioned it last week, is unity with Christ. Unity with Christ. It's right here in verses 1 to 4. We talked about verse 1 last time. This morning I want to finish verses 2 through 4 the question that I want us to ask this morning is this. How does this unity with Jesus Christ, how does this unity with Jesus Christ prove our eternal and present position of innocence before God? How does it prove that? God makes the declaration, that ought to be good enough for us, and yet God in His graciousness gives us proof. How does this unity then prove our innocence, our eternal and present right now innocence before God, especially since we as Christians still sin. How does it prove that? I mean, isn't that what tempts us to doubt our position anyway? Our own sin? Isn't that what tempts us? We still sin. The Bible declares that it is sinners who are under the condemnation of God. So how can that be different for us, the Christian? Well, verses 2 through 4 tell us how unity with Christ assures us of this position of innocence. Tells us how this unity happens. And I believe it proves it in three different ways. Three ways. Notice first what Paul says. Therefore, now... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the declaration. That's the theme of this entire chapter. 4, verse 2, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. It's a very important verse for us. And so Paul says first, that you can be rest assured of your position of no condemnation as a Christian. Why? Because something took place for you in the past. Something took place on your behalf in the past, and its results are ongoing now and into the eternal future. The word for there in the original language, you could translate it because. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because. Because. This is the reason. This is the reason. This is the the proof. Here's a reason why we can rest assured. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. You see, the Spirit set you free. The Spirit set you free. In other words, as a Christian, as a Christian, as one who believes in Jesus Christ by faith, I'm not condemned even though I sin. Why? Because the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus freed me. He made me free. I'm not making myself free. I'm not working for my freedom. I'm simply resting in the reality that the Spirit has made me free. And what has He, the Spirit, made me free from? He has made me free, this verse says, from the law of sin and of death. Now you notice, you notice it doesn't say that He freed me from the presence of sin. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the presence of sin. No, it says it set you free from the law of sin and of death. Sin is still present. I'm still capable of sinning, much to my shame. But the Spirit has freed me from the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? We can think of it like this. The law of sin and death is the law of condemnation. The law of condemnation. That is what happens with us in concert with the law of God. Right? It commands and we disobey. And it must condemn those who disobey. The law must condemn the violator of the law. That's what it does. It cannot not do that. That's how it was designed. That's what it was designed to do. It cannot just overlook it. So the law of sin and death is equated with this law of condemnation. But the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus is the law of justification. Justification. The law of sin and death is the law of condemnation, but the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the law of justification, is the law of innocence, declared innocence, declared by God on your behalf. In other words, the reason that we can be assured of our position of no condemnation is because that is what justification means. The reason I can be assured of my innocence before God or no condemnation in Christ Jesus is because justification means that. The law of justification equals no condemnation. That's the idea. In other words, being in Christ Jesus is to be justified. And if justified, then there is and can never be condemnation. Do you see? If you are justified, you can never be condemned. And so Paul says you can be assured of this position by unity with Christ. Why? Because unity equals justification. Unity equals justification. So justification is a declaration that is based upon unity with Christ and no other way justification and the only way of justification is based upon the reality of unity with jesus christ no other way so watch this now notice the connection there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus why because the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus has set you free it has freed me The law of the Spirit of life has freed me from the law of sin and death or freed me from the law of condemnation. There is no condemnation facing me as a true Christian. Why? Because the Holy Spirit working in and by means of Christ has accomplished, has delivered us, has... has Fulfilled the declaration of God the Father in Jesus Christ on our behalf. From the law of sin and death. From the law of condemnation that ruled our every day. That's what happened. That, sadly, even as Christians, we allow to get us down. We allow ourselves to get so defeated, so spiritually defeated because of our own sinfulness. And I'm not saying we shouldn't we shouldn't respond to our sinfulness with the right attitude of of submission to God and confession before God and 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 contriteness and those kinds of things. We ought to be ashamed of our sin. But we should never think that we are condemned because of our sin. We we must realize and live by the promised truth and the fact that we are no longer condemned. We are justified. And therefore, therefore we can live in sanctification. We can live in holiness. We can live in obedience. Let me just say it this way. Let me say it this way. Because we are justified, therefore, we are not condemned. Because we are justified, therefore, we are not condemned, and that ought to motivate our practical sanctification. Because we're justified, therefore, we're not condemned, and that ought to motivate our practical sanctification. Listen, I truly believe that the reason we so often choose sin over obedience is not. It's not because we are assured of our salvation, We don't choose sin over obedience because I I go around saying, well, I'm okay with God, I'm saved, no big deal. No, we choose sin over obedience because we think that somehow God loves us more if and when I obey. and When we don't, we must still be condemned. Paul is saying just the opposite of that. He's saying that if you are in Christ Jesus at all, and every true Christian is, then this has happened to you. You have been free. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. What he's saying is you are actually justified. Unity with Christ did it all. You've been freed from the law of condemnation. You've been freed from the law of sin and death because that is what the law does. It condemns. The law reveals. The law introduces spiritual and physical death. Not because the law is death, but because that's what the law does. It it stirs that up and and reveals that reality that you cannot keep it because mankind in his fallen nature has no capacity to keep the law as the law requires. Cannot do it. And so we couldn't be freed through the keeping of the law. Why? Because sin's there. And so God proves that you're not condemned through your unity with Christ because no condemnation is equal to justification. If you're justified, you're not condemned. And God goes further and gives us two more proofs. He goes further. Notice verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So here we see clearly what the law could not do. The law cannot express mercy realize that the law cannot express mercy it's impossible there is no mercy in the law the law is rigid the law is unbending the law must apply the rule of law either positively or negatively That's all the law can do. It must apply the rule of law all the time. Sometimes that's positive, sometimes that's negative. And so, what the law could not do, the law could not make us righteous. The the law could not make us with the ability to obey it perfectly because of sin. So what the law could not do, God did for us, it says. In other words, we have been freed from the law of condemnation, which is the law of sin and death, by the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God did what the law, the law that he gave, God did what the law, the law that reflected his very character, God did what the law was not equipped by him to do very important that we say it that way. God did what the law that he gave was not equipped to do by him. God did what he did not equip the law to be able to do. So this is another reason why it's futile to try to earn your salvation by rule-keeping. You cannot earn your salvation by rule keeping. Why? Because you will fail, and there is no mercy in the law. God never designed the law to grant mercy, God never assigned the law to overlook sin. He never gave to the law that ability to show mercy. Law was never designed by God to save. It was never equipped by him to be able to accomplish that. The law is perfect. The law is holy. The law is righteous. Chapter 7, verse 12 clearly says. Law is holy. But it's not equipped with mercy, it's good but it could never save the violator. There's no capacity in the law to do so. So, in the amazing wisdom and divine plan of God, He sent His Son. Unfathomable to us that He would send His only begotten, perfect Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, it says. He wasn't sinful, but He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's just a phrase that simply means He came in the likeness of us. We are the personification of sinful flesh. We are sinful. Christ came in the likeness of that simply to say that Jesus Christ became man. That's the incarnation in in another phrase. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Christ became man. He wasn't sinful, he wasn't a product of man, he wasn't a product of humanity in the sense of coming through man, but he came in the likeness of man, likeness of sinful flesh. He came in the likeness of us, yet without sin, the Bible says. Without sin, without the very reality that the law could or would aggravate. The law aggravates our sin. The law says, don't do this. And our sin says, I'm going to do it anyway. Christ had none of that. He was without sin. The law could never stir up in Christ any sinfulness. No way it could aggravate sinfulness in Him. He was not sinful. He was without sin. Perfect, holy, undefiled. And therefore sin could not be stirred up by the law in Him. Therefore he was never a violator of the law. And yet and yet he offered he was offered, notice, he was offered verse 3 says as an offering for sin. He was offered by God the Father as the merciful payment for our sin. Now for any violation of the law, condemnation was required. That's what the law does. You don't. Here's what the law says. You don't obey the law. There's only one result of that. There's no mercy in that. There's no way around that. The law must do what it was designed to do. The law must extract condemnation. But Christ never sinned. Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but Christ never sinned. And yet he was condemned as an offering for sin. He was condemned as a violator of the law. In doing so, he, God in the Son, what happened? He condemned sin in the flesh. God the Father condemned sin in the flesh through the Son who was the condemnation for our sin. You see, the condemnation of the God-man had to happen so that you and I might be declared by God the Father to be not condemned by faith in Him. So here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You can be rest assured of this position of no condemnation because of your unity with Jesus Christ. First, because in Jesus Christ is justification. Justification. And secondly, because in Jesus Christ is substitution. Substitution. You might even write in the margin of your Bible next to verse 3, Christ for me. I'm I'm not condemned because God did something for me, verse 2. And verse 3, what did He do? Christ was offered for me. Justification and substitution and then lastly lastly god gives us a third proof why our condemnation is no longer valid before anybody because we're in christ jesus he says because in jesus christ is satisfaction satisfaction justification substitution and satisfaction satisfaction equals or satisfaction of the the law's righteous requirement of obedience and its righteous penalty of condemnation that's what we mean when we say satisfied christ satisfied both positively and negatively the requirement of the law look at verse 4 for we'll, we'll read it from verse 3 since it continues on into verse 4 for what the law was could not do weak as it was through the flesh God did. How? What did God do? Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? So that, or in order that, the requirement of the law. Now that's positive and negative. The requirement of the law covers both sides of that. Christ fulfilled the law perfectly by obedience and fulfilled the requirement of the law in condemnation by being contemned for us. The requirement of the law so that it might be fulfilled in us. So listen, not only did Christ fulfill every requirement of God the Father in His righteous law of justification. Right? His righteous law for our justification. Christ accomplished all of that. But that justification comes on the grounds of his substitution on our behalf. That's condemnation. He was substituted for us. He was condemned for us. And his substitution on our behalf is a complete satisfaction of the righteous requirement of the entire law, positively and negatively. In other words, the law of God has a divine requirement of perfection. We know what the Word of God says. To violate any part of the law is to violate the whole law, James tells us. You violate even the smallest part, you're a violator of the law. You can never be innocent again. You're a violator. It's like in our country. When you're a felon, it's a felon till you die. That is simply to say that to violate even a small part of the law You and I are guilty, and we are born guilty. You cannot try to arrive at some state of not guilty by your own actions. We are condemned, and if we are condemned because of our guilt, then even if one is a substitution that substitution for us would not be satisfactory in fulfilling the law's requirement if they fail in any part of the law. So if you say, well, yeah, I'm guilty, but this person's going to come on my behalf, they're not guilty according to that part which I am guilty of, and the law comes along and says, okay, you better be perfect, and they're a violator of the law, so it wouldn't work. They fail and therefore there is no justification before God by that means. So God could not just have offered anybody on the cross. God, in and through His perfect Son, satisfied the requirement of the law. So that in Christ, the full requirement would be satisfied in us. Not only is there satisfaction here, but and while we're not going to necessarily talk about this, there's imputation here. In other words, that satisfaction has been imputed to you. In what ways was it satisfied? In what ways was the requirement of the law satisfied? In two ways. Righteousness has not simply been imputed to us eternally. Get this. Righteousness hasn't been simply imputed to us in an eternal sense where we can go, okay, yeah, in the heavenlies, I have the imputed righteousness of Christ so so that God sees me through the righteousness of His Son. That's true. It has been imputed to us, but it isn't just that. The righteousness of Christ has been imparted to us practically. Practically. I hope you understand that. It's not that you have an imputed righteousness that's over here in the glories of heaven and one day you'll get there to it. No. The reality is Christ's righteousness has been imputed, imparted to you on a practical level. In other words, we are not simply righteous before God in the heavenlies positionally. No. We can live righteously now as Christ. We walk by the Spirit given to us and not by the old self. That's what he's saying here in verse 4. In order that the requirement of the law, righteousness, both sides might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. He's not talking about works righteousness here. That would be foolishness to think that. Paul's already said you can't earn your own salvation. You can't do enough to conjure up that. He's talking about the outcome of life. You see, he's not saying that our obedience is the requirement for our salvation. He's not saying that. No, what he's saying is that our walking by the Spirit in obedience is a reflection of the very righteousness that has been imparted to us. So that when you obey, it isn't even you. It's Christ in you. God gets all the glory. You see what he says in verse 12? Go down to verse 12. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation, or we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. He says you're not under an obligation to live according to your sinful life. That's not why God saved you. You're not under obligation to that. You have an obligation, but your obligation isn't to the flesh. Your obligation is to the spirit. Your obligation is to God. Your obligation is to walk according to the Spirit. That's your obligation. So listen, Paul says, listen, you are married to Christ. Remember chapter 7? You're married to another. You're married to Christ. Why? So that you might, chapter 7, verse 4, bring fruit for God. So that you might bear fruit for God. That's why you're married to Christ. That's why we Christians have been united with Christ. Not only so that we'd be justified. Not only so that God would fully be satisfied. But so that we would be sanctified. Live holy. It isn't freedom to just do whatever you want to do. It's wonderful to know that we are not guilty before God, isn't it? That's wonderful. I'm not guilty before God. Praise God for Christ. It's pure joy to know that you've been forgiven. But God didn't send His Son to be a sacrifice for sin and to fulfill the requirement of the law so that we who claim to know Jesus Christ by faith would just sit around and revel in the wonder of those two truths. Gee, I've been forgiven. No, he saved us so that we might live according to the very righteousness that he has imparted to us in Christ. It's not just an imputed righteousness, it's an imparted righteousness. And so there is now, Paul says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you have been justified. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ has been sacrificed for you. There's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus because you've been justified, because Christ has been sacrificed for you and His sacrifice completely satisfied the righteous requirement of the law in every way for you. You see? Every way. We are in Christ. And because of that, we walk, we live. That's what walk means. We we live, we carry out our life, not after the flesh, not after the things of the world, not after the things of our sinful desires, but after the Spirit. We don't walk under the condemnation of the law. We don't walk with this heavy thing waging over us a hammer waiting to crash us under the law because the law says do this and we're unable to do it no longer we're not under condemnation anymore we walk under grace we walk under grace and where sin happens grace abounds all the more we walk under freedom from condemnation fully equipped to obey You see how that makes sense? You see how that just, I hope, just opens your mind to go, wow, that's such a motivator for me to do what's right. This understanding that that I'm not condemned before God, and so when I sin, I ought to be ashamed, but I'm not condemned. And through that shame, I have to run to Christ. And in Christ, I have to say, Lord, forgive me because I know you're faithful and just in every way to forgive me. And therefore, I know I'm forgiven, so I'm going to get up and I'm going to do what's right this time. I'm going to walk in obedience to Christ. It's a motivator to obedience, not a motivator to greater disobedience. Now I want us to prepare our hearts for communion this morning, and I want to I want to just end our time by reading a a section from Doctor. Martin Lloyd Jones on this issue. He said these truths we have been cons- are are absolutely essential to the understanding of God's work for us and in us. Salvation is in and through the Lord of glory, the everlasting Son. What God has done is to send Him to save us. He gave the law, but He never gave the law in order to save man. It was not designed for that. God knew that it could not save man. There was only one way whereby man could be saved, and that was the eternal Son of God, that He should become man. And he became man, and it was a man that he fought the foe, died to death, rose in resurrection power, and ascended to heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. It was the only way. It is the way that God planned and devised in his infinite and eternal wisdom and love. So, let us meditate and continue to meditate upon this astounding declaration. Our salvation is guaranteed and safe and sure. Therefore, until we are finally glorified and presented by Christ to his Father without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We are in Christ. And God, or, or, and Christ is God's own Son, the only begotten of the Father, eternally generated with God from all eternity, co-equal, co-eternal. It is because God sent him from heaven into this world as the babe of Bethlehem and the man Jesus that our salvation, that your salvation and mine is safe and secure. It is sure in spite of ourselves, in spite of man, in spite of the world, the flesh and the devil, in spite of hell itself. It is God in the flesh, the God-man, the one who took unto himself human nature and who in that human nature is now making intercession for us in the presence of God who guarantees it all it is all accomplished through God the Father's own son and mediated to us through God the Holy Spirit we are secure in Christ We are secure in Christ. We are justified. God is satisfied. Now walk according to the Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning we again thank you. What a wonderful reality it is to know that we are secure in Jesus Christ, absolutely. And we're not playing word games. You're not playing word games with us that based upon the the divine reality of who you are ought to be enough for you said we are no longer condemned if we're in Christ Jesus and we are able to be in Christ by faith. And yet, through your great mercy and through your patience with us, you have even proved it to us. Prove that your word is true by what we have in Jesus Christ and how justification happens. We've been freed. You've been satisfied. We now can walk in that newness of life. So, Lord, help us do that this day. Help us remember Christ. Oh, may He be the focus of our very mind. Your Word tells us to set our minds on Christ. Everything He's accomplished, everything He's done is in Christ, and we have that, the power of Your Spirit in us by faith in Him. Oh, what a great gift. Lord, we know that you would have never been satisfied in just a mere man, but you had to become man, take on the likeness of human flesh, that the righteous requirement would be fulfilled positively and negatively, that we might not only be seen as righteous in the glories of heaven, but also imparted the righteousness of Christ here and now, that we might live out jesus christ in us thank you for that gift help that be a motivator to us to obey that your name would be glorified in us through us the gospel would go forth we would share it with a dead and lost world lord open our eyes to that in christ's name we pray amen